Our text for today comes from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Jesus said, Don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My father's house has room to spare. If that weren't the case, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and take you with me, so that where I am, you will be too. You know the way to the place I'm going. Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus replied, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you all this time? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I have spoken to you, I don't speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me does his works. Trust me when I say the Father is in me, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on account of the works themselves. I assure you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. They will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask for in my name so that the Father can be glorified in the Son. When you ask for anything in my name, I will do it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's a lot in this. We can't cover all of it. We're going to hone in on that verse towards the beginning. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one except through Jesus. That's what it says. On the strength of this passage, crusades have been fought, inquisitions have been empowered, witches have been burned, and continents have been colonized. No one gets to heaven without Jesus. No one. Not the Dalai Lama, not Gandhi, not the sweet Japanese Shinto woman who lived down the hall from me in college, not the atheist who came to youth group with me every single week of middle and high school, not my Jewish neighbor. 
no one. Is that the Christian claim? You can't get to God without Jesus? On the face of it, it's simple. Yes, that's the Christian claim. Jesus is essential. But when you get closer, as with most things, the answer gets murkier. In what way is Jesus essential? What does it mean to come through Jesus? Some Christians say that you have to say out loud that Jesus is your Lord and Savior in order to be saved. And other Christians have said through the years that that sounds awfully like a magic spell, turning faith into a set of words. Other Christians have said it's not so much what you say with your lips, but that we are claimed in the waters of baptism. And other Christians have said that seems awfully ritualistic. Again, kind of like magic. Some would say, and our Calvinist heritage is in this tradition, that it's not up to us that a verbal confession is good, that baptism is good, but that God, in grace, through Christ, saves us. Nothing we say or do can save or unsave us or anyone else. Some contemporary Christians have the concept of anonymous Christians, that Christians might even be unknown to themselves, but that in Jesus, God has saved them. Everybody, maybe. It begins to feel like we're arguing about angels dancing on the head of a pin again. Does it even matter? Why don't we just live and let live? But then we have verses like this, that in their apparent simplicity have caused so much harm, judgment, even loss of life. So let's go back to the text. What does it actually say? What is the context of this verse. Because I think the context is essential to understanding this text. We often treat it as a memory verse. It's a good one to memorize. It's got a nice little structure to it. But it doesn't stand alone any more than any other verse of Scripture. It has a context. It was said by a particular person in a particular place at a particular time to a particular group. This verse was said by Jesus to his disciples on the night before he died. 
which is maybe counterintuitive since we're in Easter post-resurrection right now, but the lectionary pulls us back to this night before Jesus died. The disciples don't know how it's all going to end, but they know things are about to get rough. Things are not looking good. One preacher, Fred Craddock, much like Emily did, likens it to a group of children. In his image, they're sitting on the floor playing when they suddenly look up and realize all the adults are putting on coats and walking out the door. And the kids want to know, justifiably, what about us? What's going to happen to us? Who's going to watch us? That's the question the disciples are raising. What about us? All this talk of many mansions and room to spare is nice, Jesus, but who's going to watch us? Who's going to take care of us? They are scared, and Jesus seeks to reassure them. That is the tone of this text. These words aren't shouted at opponents. They're not used to argue with people who disagree. They're not proclaimed to a crowd of the unconvinced. They are spoken at a very intimate dinner with Jesus' closest friends who have failed and been faithful and followed. And now they're scared. What's going to happen to us? We are always so quick, I know I am, to look over in the other person's lane and say, what about, what about them over there? What's going to happen to them? What are they doing right or wrong? That is not the question Jesus is answering here. These disciples are asking about themselves. He's answering that middle-of-the-night fear. What about me? What's going to happen? I'm scared because life is uncertain. Terrible things happen all the time. I'm not sure how to go on. And to that question, Jesus says, keep your eyes on me. When you are scared, weary, and worn, come to me. Follow my way. Learn the truth I teach. Live the life I live. And you will find rest for your souls and life abundant. Jesus doesn't answer the question, what about them? Thomas doesn't ask it. And it's a misunderstanding to think that's what this text is about. And a misuse to quote it to solve 21st century questions about other people's 
salvation. There are responses in the New Testament that deal more directly with the question of folks who are not Jewish or Jesus' followers and what happens to them. And as with most things in the Bible, there's a range of responses. The most convincing and glorious one to me is Paul's repeated insistence in multiple letters that the sweep of God's renewal will be so great as to catch up and transform all of creation. The rocks and the trees and the lizards and the lilies and the farthest galaxies and the smallest viruses. And all people will be gathered up and gathered in and counted in the number when Christ is all in all. That's what Paul says. But that's another day to another people with another question. This night, this night, Jesus sat at table with his friends as they faced fear and sorrow and death. Jesus leaned close and said, don't be afraid. Come what may and much will come. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your heart fixed on this. Love broken like bread. Love poured out like cup. In the end, that's all there really is. This is the Christ-shaped confession. In the way of Jesus, which is the way of love poured out, we find our way. In the truth of Jesus, which is the truth of limitless love, we find our truth. And in the life of Jesus, crucified and risen, we find our lives. Until that day, when Christ is all in all. Amen.